Lock us in. Load us in. Pop in that A-track. Spin the tape. Here we go. Hey now everyone, welcome back to the Star Wars Time Show, and it's not the regular Star Wars Time Show, it's the Resistance Recap spinoff, that's right my friends, Star Wars Resistance has returned from its mid-season break, we got a new episode to check out on January the 13th, so Nick and I watched it, I did my thing the day after, I did the Easter Eggs and Franchise Reference Recap video, and then I did the Review and Recap video, and now we're back in our Star Wars Time Show podcast host seats to do the first Resistance recap of 2019. So, Nick, we got the new episode. It is uh, the 12th episode in Season 1. I guess if you're really keeping score, it's technically 11 if you didn't consider the pilot to be two episodes. I don't know anymore. I see the episode count. Different here, different there, over there, under there. Who knows? We're going with it was the 12th episode. It was titled Bebo. And Nick, kind of as I predicted, at least in my head, I don't know if I shared this prediction with you, this return episode was pretty damn safe overall. Didn't get any First Order narrative woven into it. Uh, It was kind of a throwaway, self-contained episode. But before we get to our recap and review of what happened in Bebo, let's go ahead and talk about the... um, imaginative Easter eggs and Star Wars franchise references that I had to cook up. So really the first one we got was the most tangible Easter egg in the entire episode, Nick. And that was when Kaz was visiting Sonara at her salvage yard and she pulled up a Clone Wars era Z-95 starfighter. Yeah, I got to say this, this is the best one for sure, because like you said, it's tangible. It's right in front of us. They actually talk about it in the episode. You know, Sonara comes out, or Niku comes out and says, oh, I think this is a Z-96, but no. Cass stops him. He's like, no, look at these markings here. This is only from Clone Wars era Z-95s. Well, he so said you're wrong. from Reaper Squadron. And yeah, actually, Reaper Squadron. I looked it up, and I, I wasn't getting much on it. I mean, I did find a shot of the ship from the Clone Wars series, and it literally is the precursor of the X-Wing. It, it's not the arc fighter that you may be thinking, some of you from Revenge of the Sith. It, it's legitimately a, a twin engine with wings, with the pointed nose. I mean, it, it for all intents and purposes, it's like X-Wing prototype. Yeah, yeah. So it was really good. It was a really good call out in the Easter eggs. It was a really good little moment in the episode to show that that Kaz does have this kind of historical knowledge of everything, even going back to the prequel eras when we had the Galactic Republic still around. Not only, you know, the rebellion uh, in, in the imperial period of the, uh, of the galaxy. So he, he knows his shit. And he Did showed you notice it. how when he, he mentioned everything he knew about that ship that Sonara was like, yeah, this guy's definitely. Yeah. He's, he's definitely not some dumbass mechanic working yeah. on Team Fireball. That was kind of one of the themes of this episode that we're going to get to in the recap and review. It's kind of Sonara coming into the, the realization that. You know, she was probably not rescued by just some random pilots, and then you know, Kaz and Yeager or Kaz and uh, and Poe brought her back. Like she was, 
she was saved, probably saved by by Kaz. But um, yeah, I think this Easter egg was definitely the strongest one in the five that you were able to dig up here. Um, and you you're right in saying that you were you got a little imaginative here. You had to reach really far down into the bowels of Star Wars to to pull oh, out the boy. next three, dude. My so, my uh, asshole was getting tight watching this episode. Going, I I mean, what the hell am I gonna do on Monday? I mean, we're we gonna have like a thirty second video, but as with all things Star Wars Resistance Easter egg hunting, I definitely reached. Um, so the, the the next one here. So the Colossus is under attack from this big ass sea monster. So its security droids go into effect. And and one thing I noticed while watching it, actually while listening to it and watching is that these security droids have identical sounding arm lasers to the B2 battle droids. So yes, a reach, but if they even like, I even was looking when I was looking up images for the B2s and then looking at these security droids, these security droids, you could argue are based off of the B2 battle droids because I mean, their arms are almost identical in design they have the you know the 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 forearm mounted lasers that they were shooting that sound like the B2 battle droids. So again, a stretch nick, but there's definitely some concrete similarities between the Colossus security droids and what we used to see in the Clone Wars era with the B2s. Yeah, it almost looks like these new Colossus security droids are like B2s except they had the top half of their body kind of reshaped. They're definitely yeah, they're, a they're, more they're, 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 You're exactly right. Their torsos are much wider. They're wider mm-hmm. in the shoulders, and they don't have that defined B1 on steroids head that the B2s had. Exactly. It, it's more of a traditional robot head where it's you know like R2, which is fucking lights and sensors. Yeah. So it was a, it was a good call out. And I mean, like I said, Matt... Not only did Matt identify that the sound was the same, but he was also able to identify the droid and pick out the movie. So, I mean, if, if anybody ever had a doubt here about these Easter eggs or where they're coming from, I mean, you, you can rest assured that Matt knows what he's talking about. So just take this one into account. And then as we move on to number three, keep in mind that Matt has a very keen ear. I don't even know if it's that, Nick, or if it's the fact that I literally watch Star Wars movies pretty much every day of the week now because of my two-and-a-half-year-old. So through osmosis, I'm just, like, sucking in all the sounds of the Star Wars movies now because I physically can't watch them anymore. I've seen them so many times in these past two months. But as Nick hinted, the next uh, reference, if you will, wasn't an Easter egg. It's another sound. So, again, the Colossus is under attack. Kaz reveals to Sonara that they have a pirate alarm, and when they pull it, what do you know? It makes the exact same we're under attack alarm that you hear when the Death Star is under attack in A New Hope, and I also believe at the very end in Return of the Jedi. It's basically that, oh shit, the ship's going down alarm, like, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not like that at all, but something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can hear it in my head now. I mean, like, as soon as I saw this reference, and I had watched the episode, and of course, Matt just has the, the mind of a, of a true Jedi master. Like, I watched the episode, maybe somewhere deep in my subconscious, like, it clicked to me that this sound was the same sound as the one from the Death Star. But, like, I can, when I read this statement, I can hear that alarm in my head, and I know exactly what he's talking about. And, I mean, it is something cool like this, and this is just... Another another 
thing that we can point to with the creators of the show, with the writers, sound designers, everybody involved. They take the extra time to do stuff like this because they could have just taken any old sound, any old alarm sound from a fucking car or a house alarm and, and shove that in here for the Colossus Pirate Alarm sound. But they chose to take the one that's the same one as the Death Star. So, I mean, it, it shows the level of care that's put into the show. Kind of a, a tangent here in terms of me picking up audio cues while watching Star Wars type of stuff. One thing that I, I now listen for in every Star Wars movie, and I don't know if you do it too, is the Wilhelm screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know you what know I'm talking it, about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It comes like up and over exaggerated. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when they get shot or fall or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens big time. I, I'm pretty on sure the it's fucking... in every single Star Wars movie. Like, George made it a point. I mean, George didn't start it. The Wilhelm is actually from a 1951 film called Distant Drums. Uh, but it's it's shown up. It's now become a stock sound effect that has shown up in at least 389 films and television series. Yeah, I mean, at this point, just the term Wilhelm scream, like movie enthusiasts will know, and you'll be able to, like, again, you'll hear it in your head as soon as it's you It's almost hear guaranteed to show up in sci-fi movies. Yeah, like, Guaranteed yeah. you're going to get it. I mean, the most, to me, the, the one that's the, the easiest to pick out and the most recognizable within the original trilogy for Star Wars was when they were fighting on Jabba's cruise, like, on the pleasure barge. Like, oh, yeah. when they were outside... And you know Luke's about to get well. Doesn't Boba do it right? Yeah, I think so. I think it is Boba when he gets hit. You can hear he's like he makes the fucking iconic sound. It's either I'm on that Wilhelm or Scream.net, and it's literally just a site with a button on it that plays the Wilhelm scream. It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, that's what the internet is, people. You can. Find ah! <laughs> it's either that's... it's either when Boba takes the hit or when. Um, Luke knocks somebody off of the ship with his lightsaber. Like yeah, when he I, cuts himself free. As I just said, I've watched it like a million times. I'm almost positive it's when Boba is rolling down into the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. So uh, another good call out, another sound bit that Matt caught. I mean, you have to also, you have to realize that these sound bits come and go pretty quickly. It's not like it's a, a, a huge, obvious Easter egg or reference like the first one was where they're clearly talking about yeah, a Z95 I'm starting to question if I'm even watching the show at this point or if my ears are just glued to the sounds. Yeah, I mean, typically um, I'm catching it either during my day at work or like after it has aired already. So um, I'm doing a little bit more listening than watching sometimes, but uh, you, you definitely like honed your senses when you when you watch the show well, like i, I said like dude I, I had the stretch on this one so maybe i did just kind of subconsciously it's like all right it's time to rely on other senses but the eyes because this episode is coming up short on the easter eggs yeah. so anyways what we're talking about doza you know the the colossus is under attack doza sends out the aces to go fight the sea monster and i guess hype is their leader i didn't know that i figured um Tora would be, but whatever. So hype, hype's their leader. He's the one making the calls out. I mean, he what do they call him? Ace One or something like that. Yeah. Um. You know, everyone's got to have call signs in Star Wars. Uh. But he's given the green light from Doza to use their missiles, and lo and behold, when they when they shot their first volley, I was like, "Fuck! I know exactly where that comes from." Let me think a bit. Let me think. Ding, ding, ding. That's the sound it made when Anakin shot his proton torpedoes from the Naboo starfighter within the belly of the Trade Federation starship. 
Yep. And I actually went to the movie, queued up the scene to make sure, but again, dead on. So the Aces used the same missiles as Anakin Skywalker. Look at that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good find, too. I mean, again, like all of these audio cues are just amazing. And I don't know. You think they use the same missiles? You think it is? Or is it just, you know, maybe they're I don't made know. By I, I think same. it's a fact of <laughs> everyone just kind of using Ben Burt's sound library from yeah. the, the six movies he worked on. I mean, Ben Burt is the godfather of Star Wars sound effects. I'm not sure if people know that. I mean, we have John Williams. He's the godfather of Star Wars scores. But Ben Burt, I mean, he's the guy that came up with Vader's breathing, the sound of lightsabers, the sound of the blasters, you name it. Uh, and he worked on the originals and the prequels. So, Yeah, if you go back and watch some of the documentaries from the prequels that are included on the DVDs or the... Uh, or if you do have the like the super special edition DVDs or the Blu-rays for the original trilogy, you'll you'll see Ben Burt's work and like it was really cool the how he shows you the way he came up with lightsaber sounds and then also the um, like the Adat Walker sounds like for when their legs are like you know I guess it was like the tension in their leg like he shows a lot of stuff. Um, he shows a lot of stuff in those behind the scenes things. So if you haven't seen that yet, go ahead and watch it. Really cool information on how, I mean, basically how he was able to bring to life sci-fi sound effects. Like we've never really heard them just with common bullshit. Yeah. I I mean, I forget what the lightsaber sound is, but it's just some dumb shit. I think it was like one of them. Okay. Maybe this wasn't the lightsaber, but one of them was like, he took a metal rod, like some sort of, it was a solid metal rod and he tinged it against one of the taut wires that attaches to like a light pole. Like, you know, those like really tight metal wires that go all the way down on the ground. Like he tapped on that and it made this incredible. Okay, yeah. Ben Burt created the lightsaber sound. It was a combination of the hum of idling interlock motors in an aged movie projector and interference caused by a television set on shieldless microphone. Oh, geez. That's why, like, I'm telling you, like, these sound designers sometimes, I mean, they're, they're like, far-out motherfuckers. Yeah. I they think come what up I was... Shit. They, they just sit all day with their little, you know, bet, as Nick was talking about these behind-the-scenes, like, they wear this over-the-shoulder tape recorder, essentially, or they did back then, and they just kind of go around and, like, knock on shit and then go back to the studio and mix it together and see what they got. Yeah, yeah. I think the sound that I was describing might have been one of the blaster sounds, but, um... Yeah, I mean, also within those behind the scenes too, you get to hear the Foley artists' work. So the Foley oh, yeah. artists, are they're the, the guys that, that do like, like you the... do when people are walking on dirt versus snow and leaves, or when yeah. somebody gets shot in the head and their head explodes. That's the squishing sound. Yeah, I'm telling you, as I've said many times before, I hate myself for not figuring out that I want to be in movies when I was a little kid because I could be doing stuff like that. Yeah, but too too late for both of us now. Day late and a dollar short on that one, my friend. So back to the Resistance recap. All right, so down to the last one here. And guess what, people? It's not auditory-based. That's right. We actually got a shot here. I'm almost going to call this one an Easter egg. But near the end, not the very end closing shot. That was actually kind of a little funny moment between Kaz and Niku. But as the threat was vanquished, and everyone was happy, and they were kind of having their Miller time moment for this episode. I believe there is a very explicit shot created 
to call back to the iconic scene at the end of The Empire Strikes Back when the rebels are licking their wounds and you got the twins on the right, the droids on the left, looking out to the Milky Way as Lando and Chewie pull out in the Falcon to start their hunt for Han. And in Resistance, we had Tam and Niku as the twins and then Bucket and Yeager as the droids. And, and I do think it was a direct nod to that moment. I really do too. Like once you freeze frame it and take a look at the shot like you have in the, in the breakdown video and the Easter eggs video, it's almost undeniable that it's meant to mirror that shot. I mean, even the shape of the bottom of the, uh, uh, of the Colossus where they're standing is kind of like a mirroring of the shape of the window that they're looking through in, yeah. um, in ESB. So I think it's a good call. Like this is a solid, this is a really good, I, I would call this an Easter egg. Like, it's a solid Easter egg that really keen eyed fans would catch. And then like, even, you know, casual observers of star Wars, if, even if you freeze framed it and gave it to them, they probably wouldn't be able to pick it out. And say like, oh yeah, this is from something else. No, like you this... got to be a nut job for sure. Yeah, it's a Which solid. I'm, I'm solid a proud catch. nut job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a good, it's a really good catch, and it was a really cool way to, like you said, not really close out the episode, but but you know, kind of bring it towards its close as the end, like you said, was focused on Niku and um, Kaz as as Niku was getting his hands on a new possible pet, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that wraps it up for the Easter eggs for this episode. Um, so do we want to, we want to give our opinions and, and, you know, kind of let break me just, down this episode. Uh, let me just do a, like a quick minute recap. I think I can get, get done real quick and then we can start tearing into it. Okay. Uh, cause we, we both definitely have opinions about this episode. I mean, we're not going to be trolls and get all upset, but let's just it, it 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 it's exactly what i thought it would be and that's a very self self-contained episode i mean a very safe self-contained episode didn't really add anything to the overarching first order plot which which i expected but outside of that it was it was pretty ho hum so anyways again this is uh season 1 episode 12 it was titled bebo after one of the characters that was introduced okay excuse me so it begins with Kaz and Niku visiting Sonara, who's still on the Colossus. Remember, she's the pirate that Kaz and Poe saved when they found that uh, derelict ship a few episodes back, brought her back to the Colossus. She's kind of assimilated there and has become a spy for the pirates. So what happens in this interaction, the whole point for the scene was for Niku to befriend this little ocean slug that they find at Sonara's salvage yard. And he kind of takes it on as a pet, almost like a kid. I mean, he starts making out with it, giving it tongue right away. I mean, Niku, if you've been watching the show, you know he's kind of an odd character, but that's why we love him. So anyways, I bring it back to Team Fireball. Yeager's not a fan because apparently this, this ocean slug smells like shit, like permanently. That's just its normal smell. So that causes a little tension. Kaz's like, I'm out. He goes back to Sonara, but that's because I think he wants to see her naked. That's my opinion. I, I definitely think Kaz has a crush on Sonara, but the two are kind of intertwined in this show. Uh, so so the, <clears throat> they kind of go off on their own. They got their little thread for this episode. Niku eventually pisses Yeager off to the point where Yeager's like, you got to get rid of this Bebo guy, his little pet. Niku's like, all right, I quit. 
he bails, runs away. Tam's like, Yeager, you're a dick. She goes look for Niku. Long story short, Sonara and Kaz are out salvaging or trying to salvage. Where She's really just out there to try to pick his brain to figure out who the hell he really is. And that's like one of the only items of note from this episode we got is, is Sonara and Kaz and kind of what they're figuring out about each other. And then something for Kaz himself. But anyways, while they're out salvaging, a big-ass, like, Kraken-like Star Wars-style monster shows up. And it heads off towards the Colossus. Guess what it's looking for? It's looking for Bebo. That's right. It's Bebo's mommy. So, Niku eventually finds Bebo. He's with the Shell people from a few episodes back. They're basically walking turtles. And the runaway brother and sister. I believe their names are Kel and Ayla. And Ayla... May have some force powers. Anyway, she says, she looks at Bebo and be like, he's a sign, we're all fucked. And she's right, because the big thing that Kaz and Snara find is coming to take out the Colossus to find her baby. Kaz and Snara return. They set off the pirate alarm. Doza sends out the aces. Aces are trying to blow this thing up. Nothing's happening until Niku realizes, oh, it just wants Bebo. At which time, he rolls out. You got a great little, you got some good dog fighting going on with the aces. Kaz joins the fray. Uh, they're blowing it up. They're shooting missiles at it that sound like Naboo starfighters. It's crazy. Kaz is saving people. He's being a hero. And then all it really took was for Niku to come out on deck, hand over Bebo, Miller time, let's rock and roll. So that that's Bebo in a nutshell. And as you most of you probably tuned out listening to that recap, not a lot going on, right, Nick? Yeah, it was. I, I, I'm pretty safe in saying that I think this was my least favorite episode of the season so far. And I can't really blame it because, you know, something you said before, right before we started, you know, it's coming back from the holiday break. It's the first episode back into the new, you know, from the mid season break. And they're not really expecting everybody to have jumped back on ship yet. But I do feel like they could have had some plot progression, even a little bit of plot progression in here outside of just the one scene between Sonara and Kaz. Um, just anything, even if it's a conversation between um, between Doza and one of the First Order you know, troopers, whether it be Captain Commander Pyre or Major Von Reg or Captain Phasma, any of those would have been would have been really cool. Another good plot point to forward that first order storyline that we all have kind of gotten wrapped up in. And I think for me, um, the reason that this one fell so flat is because I watched that, that trailer that we talked about on the previous cast and I was hyped. Like there was so much cool shit in it that I was really expecting to like come into this with a bang. And then I saw this, I was like, man, this whole episode's about fucking Niku and like a little squishy slug thing. And then the only pro- the only plot progression we get is with Sonar and Kaz, and it's barely any. So I was pretty disappointed, but it is, you know, it is kind of a setup episode, like you mentioned, and I expect the show to get better moving forward. No, you're you're exactly right. This was Niku's episode. I mean, at this point, there have been other character specific episodes. Yeager got <laughs> excuse me, Yeager got one. And honestly, Yeager's episode with his brother, that was the other kind of self-contained episode of Resistance from this first season that I can remember. I mean, it didn't do shit for the First Order plot, kind of like this one. Um, 
I believe Tam had a, a bit of a one. Like her and Sonara kind of opened up to each other a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But th- this was. I mean, Nick, Nick's right. This this was Niku's episode. He was the star. Uh, everyone got <laughs> kind of took a back seat. It was really just Tam and Niku kind of got the spotlight over Kaz. Because, <laughs> I mean, Kaz usually gets it. Sorry, people. I'm still kind of dealing with some of this Ebola stuff. Uh, but you, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, pretty forgettable. Nothing major happened. Even the Easter eggs we talked about were pretty light. Uh, not, nothing crazy. Nothing mind-blowing. But as we've kind of been saying throughout this Resistance recap, that there were two moments that uh, I think were beneficial to building out the character of Kaz. While also, I believe, foreshadowing events to come later on the season or even into the second season now that we know we're getting one. Um, so <laughs> the first one is Sonara. Uh, we learned that she's still spying for Kragan. I, I kind of thought after the last pirate attack where she was seeing people getting blown up, people she's been living with, she might have kind of moved away from that. But no, she's still dedicated to the pirate cause. Uh, and she is, she's probably one of the more interesting non-mains this season. Uh, they've introduced another non-main. That's the guy that Elijah Wood's voicing. I forget his name at this point in the show. He's that rival racer that him and Kaz kind of have a thing going right now. Um, but Sonara, I do believe is going to have major implications for Kaz moving forward. So I did like seeing them kind of flesh out their relationship a bit more. As I said, I do believe Kaz kind of has the hots for her. Uh, he does not know she's a pirate yet. Uh, but she's starting to figure out that Kaz may be more than just the happy-go-lucky, all-shucks, clumsy fool that he's playing. And, and he kind of gives things away. You know, earlier we talked about when he knows all this stuff about the Clone Wars I think in her head, she's like, man, only people that grew up in the core systems, you know, in the Republic, New Republic, would would probably know about that stuff. So he's not just some bum from out here. Uh, Plus, Kragen showed her some footage of her rescue, and you can clearly see the back of Poe. Kaz, I believe, is still kind of covered up in the smoke. But what I'm angling at here, Nick, where I think things are headed... I think ultimately this season, Sonara is going to have a choice, and maybe Kaz. And I believe it's going to come down to, does Sonara sacrifice the relationship she's forged with Kaz, Tam, and people on the Colossus for the Pirates in the First Order? Or does she sacrifice herself and turn on the Pirates uh, maybe in her last act to save Kaz or something. I, I just I think that's where things going. I think she's gonna find out about him before he finds out about her. But I do think because of the bond they've built up that they're they're not going to instantly rat each other out. I think they may try to help each other first. But when when, it, when it's all said and done, I do believe Sonara will make a decision to save. Kaz and company at the expense of her life. I think you're. I think you're dead on about the decision point coming for for Sonara. I do, um, I just. I, I think it's it's been set up now to the point where I really think she's gonna have to weigh her relationship with these people and the pirates. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I don't know if it's gonna lead to her death, uh, but I do think that there is gonna be one of those decision points coming, and she's either going to 
stay on. I, I could see her staying on as a as a semi, you know, main or a recurring right. character. Or she's just gonna like, you know, she stays, she helps Kaz and the and the crew of the Colossus, and then she just goes on her own. Like she goes about and makes a life for herself uh somewhere else in the galaxy. So those are the two options that I see for her. I think you're right. Unless somebody feeds information to Kaz that like, hey, it's pretty clear Sonara is, you know, doing some shady shit here. You should probably, you know, watch yourself. I don't think he's going to come to it on his own because he is caught up in that infatuation. And it's very much on his side and not so much on her side. Like, she, you know, she's starting to come around in a a more platonic kind of way. Like you were saying, really starting to enjoy her surroundings, the people that she's working with on the Colossus. Well, and I, I just, also think, at least now, she's becoming more buddy-buddy with Kaz because she knows that he knows more than he's letting on. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely I, looking I still think to she's trying to use him where he uh, just wants to be around her. Exactly, yeah. She's, she's looking for information. She's looking to find out, like, what this dude, you know, is actually doing, what his mission is. And then possibly, is there any kind of uh, information that he that she can get from him that could benefit the pirates and possibly even, you know, the First Order? So she's she's got way different motives in mind than what Kaz does. Um, and then the other, um, I guess the other thing that you were going to mention, you know, the, the progression and possibly a little bit of foreshadowing, which we may see in further episodes, is, is Kaz really steps into that hero role a little bit more than he had in previous episodes, especially when it came to piloting the fireball and, and, and going around and trying to, you know, save people from being crushed by this massive sea monster. So that was really good to see him step up instead of just like bumble fucking his way through a situation like he usually does. Like he makes a decision, he gets on the Colossus, immediately starts to warn people. They don't listen to him. And then when the when the opportunity comes and the aces are deployed and he gets in the fireball, you know, he really comes out and shows that he has that that hero ability with well, it's him. even. I mean, at, at the character we we're just talking about, Sonar is the one that basically convinces him to to get in the ship and join the fight. Yeah, I mean, she's the one that grabs him, like, "Hey, man, go protect us." I, I don't know if, again if that's her, like trying to figure out his skills and like, okay, this guy's not just a mechanic. Look, he can do this and that and this. But as Nick said, I mean, I brought it up offline. Uh, to me, this is the first episode where I looked at Kaz and what he was doing. I was like, he's starting to become the hero. He start. I mean, I knew he was always going to be the, you know, the, the he is the main guy, for Christ's sakes. But for the first time, as, as Nick so eloquently put, he didn't feel like he was bumble-fucking the hero role. <laughs> yeah. He was actually, I wouldn't say Luke Skywalkering it, uh, maybe Poe Dameron it a little bit, uh, but uh, maybe even a Han Solo reluctant hero. I, I don't know. Maybe he's more like that. I mean, he's not a scoundrel smuggler type, but I do feel like Kaz is reluctant to be that guy, don't you? I think a lot of times what happens is he accidentally finds himself in situations where he has to play that role. Yeah, he has to be that guy, but you said yeah. it perfectly. It, it, he got there by accident, so he's not prepared to be that guy. Where this time, even while Sonar's the one's like, hey, you know, go do something, it felt like he was doing it as more of a hero versus the reluctant hero. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a really good progression point for him personally. And it also builds his confidence. I mean, the first thing that we see when Kaz makes his way onto the Colossus Station when in the first episode of the season is that, you know, he he accidentally kind of boasts about being a really good pilot and then he essentially gets embarrassed in in the in the race versus Tora. Like he does he does well and he holds his own, but he loses and you know, people I don't want to say lose respect for him, but the boasting that he did and the boasting that Niku helped magnify in the first episode essentially led to him being looked at as a little bit of a joke here on the Colossus. And now with this episode, he steps up, he actually goes out and makes a difference in a meaningful way. And people are starting, you know, this could start the turnaround for his image for the rest of the people on the station. Oh, without doubt. I mean, you know, Doza was watching what he was doing in the fireball when, when he went out to attack because the fireball was not launched with the aces. I mean, again, it was after the fact. It was Sonara yeah. saying, dude, go get it. And Yeager is even waiting for him with the helmet. Like, yeah, have at it, bro. Like, people know what Kaz can do. I just, I think this is the first time Kaz is starting to realize his role and what he can do to help others. And that's only going to increase because he is a resistance member at this point. And we know from that mid-season trailer that that plot's going to get pretty heavy and he's going to be at the center of it with Poe and then obviously helping the Colossus people to fight back. So I'm I'm really interested to see where Kaz goes from here. Outside of that, Bebo, kind of a stinker uh, as an episode. I mean, it was weak on the Easter eggs, weak on the the overarching First Order Resistance plot. Uh, But... Gave us a few nuggets in the form of building up Sonara as a character and then her relationship with Kaz and the future implications that that could have. And then we also got Kaz being more of a traditional Star Wars lead. Uh, I've liked how he's been unique and he's not just, you know, the Superman type of Star Wars hero. I like that he has flaws. He's kind of goofy, clumsy. Uh, But I do see him, him changing a bit getting a little more responsible, being more of someone that that, that people look to to be heroic. And and I think we'll see that play out as this season continues and and into season two, which at this point, now that we know what we know and and the fact that this season should at least end up right where the end of Force Awakens kind of happens, I'll be interested to see what we're going to get in season two. I mean, is it going to carry on into some Last Jedi type of narratives? Uh, Because remember... Those movies are literally hours apart. Yeah, it's hours very apart. possible. It's very possible that we can see some sort of crossover between the two, you know, between seven and eight here, because there's not a lot of space to work. Once you get to that, that know, Hux dude. speech that we see in the trailer, you don't have a lot of ground to cover. So, I mean, if, we, if that doesn't happen in the last episode of the season, then like, are the rest of the episodes going to happen over less than a day's period of time? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, oh, or, how I mean, this... honestly, and I don't know. I mean, from that trailer, it looks like the Colossus eventually takes itself underwater. So who knows if they just sink it so the First Order doesn't get it. But, I, I mean, the show could live on. I mean, I think we could accept that the Resistance had a spy out there that survived essentially the the genocide of the, of the Resistance in yep. TLJ. 
Um, But like Nick said, it may have to continue on into TLJ timeline and beyond if they keep it going. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm all on board because as we as we saw in that midseason trailer, as we've seen in a few episodes that dealt with the First Order plot, this show has given us some nice little lore nuggets that uh, we either didn't know, have never been written, or, you know, just they're, they're brand new. Here you go. This is how this happened. This is how the First Order built up their war machine. This is how they made Starkiller Base. I like that type of stuff. And the cool thing that could happen here is if we continue on into TLJ timeline, then we can get some fantastic context as to what is happening behind the scenes for the Resistance, you know, while... This right. whole why, why no one feels just, Leia's call for help, yeah. shit like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. while while the whole situation of TLJ is going down, like what's happening, and then even you know if it continues on and we stretch into the period between episode eight and nine, like we already talked about, there's a year period of time between these two movies. If this show could fill in context there, I mean, then this could be really fantastic in terms of the amount of content that we get in the in the context that it gives to the live action films so i think that this show has a good future uh, ahead of it as long as you know people keep watching it and and disney still sees the value in telling these stories yeah i mean this this one uh, a bit of a stinker but but in the end it was still it's still fun it's a star wars show animated star wars show uh, I, I think you know young kids would obviously probably get a kick out of it because it had a lot of slapsticky, hijinksy stuff. Um, so get with it, people. Get on the resistance. Trust me, it's worth it. If anything, just keep coming back and listening to us talk about it and checking out our recap videos that should debut on StarWarsTime.net every Monday after a new episode of Star Wars Resistance. All right, buddy, I think we have recapped, reviewed, and Easter egged this shit out of Bebo, and it's time to put it to bed. Let's move on. Uh, I'm anticipating the trailer and synopsis for uh, episode 13, probably tomorrow or Thursday. That's typically when uh, Disney's PR drops that stuff, so we'll get it up on StarWarsTime.net when it does. But make sure to stay tuned to the Star Wars Time Show podcast. You can get us on iTunes, Google Play, Android, email, RSS, YouTube. I mean, at some point in time, we're going to figure out how to deliver it to you through the fucking force. But for now, just go to StarWarsTime.net. You won't miss any shows. You can get all the subs in. Follow us this place, that place, whatever place. We just want you to listen. We want your feedback. We want your subs, your follows, your likes, your loves, your hate. It doesn't matter. We'll take it all. We just want you to love us. Until next time, my friends, may the Force be with you always. But make sure to stay tuned to the Star Wars Time Show podcast. You can get us on iTunes, Google Play, Android, email, RSS, YouTube. I mean, at some point in time, we're going to figure out how to deliver it to you through the fucking force.
But for now, just go to StarWarsTime.net. You won't miss any shows. You can get all this, the subs in. Follow us this place, that place, whatever place. We just want you to listen. We want your feedback. We want your subs, your follows, your likes, your loves, your hate. It doesn't matter. We'll take it all. We just want you to love us. Until next time, my friends, may the Force be with you, always. Oh,